This is Channel 253. In this episode of Crossing Division. Certainly, um, results left a lot to be desired, but my goodness, were there some, some great and exciting results like the council, like Tawana Nobles. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Crossing Division. This is Evelyn Lopez, and today, the day after the general election, we're going to talk about it. I have with me a couple of election uh, geniuses, frankly, uh, Crystal Fincher of Fincher Consulting. Welcome, Crystal. Thank you very much, and you're too kind, but appreciate being here with you. Good. And Justin Camerata, Justin, who has been a past candidate himself and is currently the chair of the 27th uh, Legislative District Democrats. Welcome, Justin. Thank you so much. Good to be here again. Yes. Yeah, the last last time Justin was doing sort of a um, count point counterpoint with Alex Hayes, but um, this time we're all pretty much of the um, progressive Democrat persuasion. So I think we'll have a lot of um, thoughts, but probably not a lot of uh, controversy. I send my friend Mr. Hayes thoughts and prayers as he licks his wounds this morning. Well, it's probably not. He's probably actually delighted that it, uh, at least uh, nationwide, is looking closer than anyone thought it would be. So let's start with that. Let's start with the presidential election. Um, Here in Washington state, we knew that Washington would go for Biden and Washington has gone for Biden. In fact, the entire West Coast has gone for Biden. Um, But we're going to be waiting for a while. And we're going to be waiting for a while because uh, I would say mostly because of the pandemic, maybe other factors as well. We had a huge number of people who were voting uh, early, not going to the polling place on election day. And not every state is really um, good yet at handling that kind of a vote. Um, So we don't know what's going on in the presidential race. Um, It's close. It's closer than I, I had, I'll tell you, I had sort of my rose colored glasses on and I was thinking, this is going to be great. People are so... Uh, excited. Everyone is amped up. We're going to really have a giant blue wave sweeping over the country. So last night, it didn't look like I was hoping it might look. And I'm sort of now trying to pull my expectations back. But uh, Crystal, what is your take on the presidential race? Well, I think a little bit of context is helpful. Good. In these, you know, we we know that there's going to be a handful of states that are decisive. And we also know that in those states, there were, uh, you know, the GOP went to court to prevent a number of these swing states that we're waiting for right now to even begin processing the mail-in ballots until after polls closed. So this is a situation where we always knew the day of vote was going to favor Republicans. We also know that the mail-in ballots were, Democrats were more likely to take advantage of that. The returns by party strongly favored Democrats in the mail-in ballots which, surprise, is why they were looking to delay the counting of those. So I hesitate to characterize things as close or not or draw conclusions based off of the counts that we know right now because there are still so many mail-in ballots left to count. We know that it takes time, even here in Washington, where we can process the ballots as they come in. When they literally had to start last night and the reports that we got were from same-day voting, which we knew would favor Republicans, there's still so many votes left to count that we know are Democratic-leaning that, you know, this is still up in the air. And, and I would say that once all the votes are counted, it certainly looks like they're going to favor Biden if and once all of the votes are counted. Certainly there's a lot of, uh, you know, court uh, cases and lawsuits ahead with the GOP trying trying to prevent those those races and those ballots from being counted. Obviously, there have been, you know, what looks like delays of ballots from the post office. So there's a lot of malfeasance and voter suppression going on. But this actually, even with that, still looks really favorable for for Biden um, once all the votes are counted. So this is not something we're going to know in a couple hours. It's going to take a couple days. Um, and so I just caution people to take a break from the cable news, breathe, 
you know, and just take this in understanding that this is this is days, not hours. And a lot of the country's not used to that yet. So it feels uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I agree. Well, Justin, what are your thoughts? You know, I'm still pretty optimistic for Biden as well. I think uh, when you look at everything Crystal just discussed, as far as uh, some of those later returns that came in via mail, but also just as of this morning, you know, Michigan and Wisconsin are both starting to trend much more in Biden's direction. When you add those and to Arizona, those alone will get him to 270, even if he were to lose states like Georgia or Pennsylvania. So there's still a good chance that we've we've got this in the bag. Um, you know, for me, I didn't expect instant results last night. And I think uh, the fact that Trump was elected in the first place and the fact that he wasn't uh, resoundingly rejected last night suggests that we have some deeper systemic issues in this country that we're going to have to figure out regardless of who wins. And I'm, I'm personally not going to accept Biden winning as fact that we've made progress on that. We've got to change it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think I'm cautiously optimistic as of this morning. I, I do think we're going to know pretty soon, and especially as those later ballots start getting totaled up. Like, when you say sort of days and soon, do you think um, do you think we'll so today's Wednesday? Do you think we'll know by Friday, or do you think it's more likely to be next Monday? I mean, it's it's hard to know. Crystal might have a better sense of that, but I I think you know if if things look like they're going to start going Biden's direction and it's not resounding, then certainly we can expect some court challenges. And that's a concern right now, because as we know, uh, one of the things that Republicans have done is stuff the courts with their appointees, most Mm -hmm. recently the Supreme Court justice. So we're just going to have to see what happens at that point. But, uh, you know, at this point, I I do think Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are going to win. It's just not going to be something we know today. Yeah. All right. Um, Crystal, any thoughts on how long it might take before we get something that looks more definitive? I think we'll have a pretty definitive view on what the votes cast say by Friday. Um, You know, as Justin mentioned, uh, already with the counting that's being done before a lot of the mail-in ballots are are cast, Biden has taken the lead um, in Wisconsin, in Arizona. So, you know, things are firming up. I'm, I'm sure between both parties, people would rather be Biden than be Trump with the way that that things look now and are trending. Mm-hmm. Um, the court cases are just going to, you know, are they going to be able to invalidate some of the ballot ballots that were counted really is going to be the question. Um, I think we'll, we'll have a winning number for Biden by Friday. Whether that number withstands court scrutiny is, is another issue. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about it. And I had, before we went on uh, on the air, I thought we would move immediately to sort of local races. But let's uh, wait a moment here. And what I want to talk about is, uh, is this divide? You know, so we know we have a divide in the country. Um, and I would say it's not just a Republican-Democrat divide uh, because the way that Trump has been rallying supporters to a uh, I would certainly characterize as a very nasty view of us and them. And, and the others are people of color, um, immigrants, uh, perhaps, you know, the LGBTQ plus community, anyone who's sort of outside the traditional Ozzy and Harriet America of um, cis, white, hetero family values is the other. And I, and Justin mentioned, you know, we're going to have to do something about that. I don't know what we do about that, but you know, in Pierce County, our Pierce County votes for governor showed, you know, certainly a majority 53% for Jay Inslee as, as of last night, 208,000 for Jay Inslee, but also 180,000 for uh, Lauren Culp, 46%. So even in our County and we may have, work to do. And I'm not sure what that work looks like, but do you have uh, thoughts on sort of this, this divide between, I guess I'll call it liberals and conservatives, but I don't think that's really it. I think there's a strong component of race um, playing out here. And I, and I'm not quite sure what we do to address that other than keep talking about it. Yeah. I mean, I I'll, I'll start on that. And it's interesting that you bring that up because uh, yeah, Jay Inslee did win Pierce County, but also in Pierce County, uh, as of last night's count, it looks like Democrats will take back the Pierce County Council uh, for the first time since I think it was 2004 is when Republicans took control. So uh, this is a really big deal. Ryan Mello got elected and in the 27th, we we endorsed him and I had the opportunity to 
served with him on the Tacoma City Council, so I know he's capable of some pretty amazing stuff. But uh, we also got Jenny Hitchin elected too, which is a fantastic result. She's up, I think, by around five or six points as of last night. Um, you know, this has some really big implications for for what's going to happen at the county level. Everything from mental health to zoning and land use to uh, affordable housing, all these different things that traditionally can't get through under a Republican, uh, Republican controlled County council. So really excited to see what that happens. But, you know, I've, I've heard it said to to answer your question, Evelyn, uh, I've heard it said that Pierce County is a purple County. And I don't think the results actually show that. I think the reality is we are actually a red County with some deeply blue spots, notably in Tacoma and in Lakewood. Um, and then maybe parts of university place now too, but, um, what we're seeing pretty consistently is mixed results at best, some Republicans, some Democrats. And, um, you know, it's, it's going to be a hard lift. I think I, I said it earlier, we have fundamental underlying issues with systemic racism, with misogyny, a lot of different things we see in the results of the, uh, race with Tawana Nobles and Steve Oban last night too. Tawana had to un, uh, go through almost a million dollars of some really negative ads against her, frankly, racist and classist ads against her, things mm-hmm. attacking her for things like parking tickets and collections, things that just average people deal with on a regular basis. And Republicans spent almost a million dollars trying to trying to hammer away at her. And she still prevailed, thankfully. And I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, keep using that term, but she's going to continue to hold that. But the fact that she, she didn't blow it out when she should have, uh, to me, that suggests we just have some bigger problems. So I can say at the at the local party level, the focus for us is going to continue to be finding those voters that we're not talking to on a regular basis uh, in some of those traditionally underrepresented communities. Go out there and get people that look like them, that reflect them and their values, that know their needs, know their communities. Let's get them turned out. Let's make sure that their needs are reflected in party platforms. Let's make sure we get PCOs that can work within the community. And let's make sure that we're getting those people's voices reflected in the results. And I think if we were to be honest, I would say Pierce County's uh, Democratic uh, turnout has not always reflected that. We've got a lot of people that uh, have been left out and excluded from the table. So I think one of the only ways we're going to really address that is making sure those voices are at the table. And we still have a long ways to go with that. So uh, long winded way of saying we've got our work cut out for us. Mm -hmm. And Crystal, what are your thoughts? I know you've worked with a lot of. particularly black candidates as they've moved forward. And, and this year, I think it's actually been a pretty good year for black candidates, but um, the the racial lines just seem to be even more highlighted. And, and I think the Black Lives Matter movement coming back so strong this year also kind of, um, you know, highlighted just all of the work that we have to do on uh, race issues. But how do you see that in the election context? Well, I guess I would say starting off, I would call it a Republican versus other divide and that Republicans um, have not repudiated that language. Um, You know, we did not see the Steve O'Ban campaign even, um, you know, repudiate some of those racist attacks. And and I think you're right when it comes to um, the LGBTQ plus community you know, racial communities, people who are struggling financially, just there are so many people who feel explicitly excluded by mm-hmm. Republicans. Now, where the opportunity is and where there still needs to be work is, do they then feel included by Democrats? Mm-hmm. And that is not an automatic yes. And that's where people, um, you know, where there is work to be done. And I think new leadership in a number of areas across the board is helpful. I think that um, speaking frankly about race, which has proven to increase support even among white people, which there seems to be this hesitance among um, some of the democratic establishment to talk about it head on for fearing that it's controversial as if Mm -hmm. people dealing with it every day aren't already in the middle of it and don't already understand it and just want it to be acknowledged and addressed. Um, so, so I think there's, there is certainly work to do there. I also think that we saw some clear mandates also, and, and that in every election, we're going to see, you know, you get 60% and, and you pretty much have a mandate. Like that's a pretty convincing win. We're going to see 40% ish of the population, 
um, you know, kind of kind of stick there and vote for the opposition in, in many chances. And the question is, is it 4060? Is it 4852? Um, you know, but Republicans came to the table with their strongest arguments against including other people in society, including, um, you know, and talking about new revenue in the legislature and and you know, confronting issues of policing and public safety. And what does it really mean to protect and serve everyone in the community? And so, you know, I think those arguments were roundly repudiated Mm -hmm. in the results that we saw. Now, I I will say that this may not be, you know, a more standard election and that sometimes in these generals, we see late ballots trend heavily for progressive candidates. I don't know that we'll see that this time. And if anything, Mm -hmm. I think that they'll actually trend somewhat Republican. But I still think that, you know, we have counted an unusually high number of votes for this time because so many people got their ballots in early. So, uh, you know, I think that, you know, the council does look likely to, like that flip is solid. I think Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, Tawana Nobles' race, um, you know, we're cautiously optimistic and full disclosure, I uh, work on that race. And so, you know, certainly a lot to be excited about while still acknowledging work still has to be done and the engagement that we've seen that has been really exciting, that has to continue. It doesn't stop Mm -hmm. just because your preferred candidate gets elected. Then you have to help that candidate get policies passed to stay engaged, to hold them accountable. So that work still has to, still has to come and hopefully people remain engaged. Mm-hmm. I've often thought before that uh, one of the problems of the 2008 election when Barack Obama got elected is liberals got complacent afterwards. You know, we we elected a great candidate who was a, a change maker and historic in his own ways. But I think a lot of us stopped there. You know, we just said, great, we've got Obama in office now. Uh, we didn't really get to the root of some of these underlying problems. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about the fact that, hey, we're still a systemically racist country in a lot of ways. We still have a lot of misogyny here. We still have a major political party that, as a strategy, relies on vote suppression and exclusion as a way to maintain power. You know, so we didn't actually get to the root of that. And I think uh, when Trump got elected, a lot of people were really caught by surprise rather than seeing it as, well, this is kind of the end result of the system that we've got in place right now. And the way that we're going to fix that is not just electing another Democrat, although that's part of it. It's going to be taking a look at the systems that we have in place and ensuring that we're constantly working to root out those problems as opposed to just kind of sitting and relaxing and drinking our wine on the couch because Barack Obama won. You know, so Mm -hmm. I I think that's going to be the same here, probably even more important uh, this year. If Biden and Harris do pull it off, uh, we're still going to have some bigger issues. And I think, understandably, a lot of people are going to be emotionally exhausted after after four years of Donald Trump. But the underlying problems are still going to remain. So we're mm-hmm. still going to have a lot of work to do ahead of us. Yeah. I mean, Justin, I would say everywhere that you just said, some people, um, that that's me. I mean, I was thrilled when Obama was elected. I mean, not only because it, it signaled, um, you know, a significant, I think a significant step in sort of our history of racism, but also because he was a, um, you know, he had lived in other countries. He lived a lot of his life um, in the in the in Asia. He was from Hawaii. He was from sort of a multicultural background, um, and to me, it, it signaled a huge shift in how we look at ourselves as America. And I think I thought wonderful. You know, this is exactly the direction we should be going and we're going in it. And I'm so happy. And then when Donald Trump was elected, yeah, it was like, it was like someone just slapped me right in the face that I had been not really paying very close attention to a lot of underlying issues. And, and it was probably a good thing for me personally, because it made me start listening to people um, that I hadn't previously been listening to. But um, I still feel like now, you know, I'm with you 100%, but I'm not sure what happens next. So, I mean, I, I, think, I think a lot of it is, is, is actually coming up with, mm-hmm. with real, you know, nuggets of things you can do and, and getting them out to people like me. Yeah, I think, I think one thing that's pretty clear is even if Trump's gone, Trumpism is here to stay. 
I mean, yeah. you look at you look at Lauren Culp, you look at all these different candidates that ran for House around the country that very clearly tied themselves to that kind of populist nationalism. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that I, I still maintain, and this has gotten me in trouble before, but mm-hmm. I still maintain that Donald Trump and Lauren Culp are their features, not bugs. They were the logical conclusions of the system that we're in right now. So, you know, they're, they're not they're not an aberration in a way. I think what's changed is they've allowed this kind of stuff to run around out in the open, whereas before it was just kind of quiet. So, you know, the, the reality is we're still going to have to deal with that in the future. And I think one of the ways that we as kind of more liberal progressive people deal with that is we start being very committed to anti-racism, to finding problems within our organizations and within our our relationships and our, our workplaces and making concerted efforts to root those out, finding ways to uh, include those other voices that have been left out to evaluate our own behaviors and our own practices and be willing to say, yeah, this thing that I've engaged in, that is racism, that's engaged in uh, systemic problems and uh, perpetuated some things that have excluded other people. And we need to be committed to getting rid of that because the reality is, again, even if Joe Biden gets elected, Donald Trump's mentality is here to stay. It's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Crystal, what are your thoughts? Absolutely agree with that. Uh, you know, this is the logical conclusion. And I think, you know, even, you know, here said, this isn't who we are. This is not the America that I know. And that is actually helping to, to keep these things going on. It's the refusal to confront, because if you don't acknowledge it, you can't fix it. And the other side is, is very busy and, you know, aggressively pushing their agenda of exclusion. And trying to codify that in policy and within the courts. And so unless we not only acknowledge it, but but take bold steps to address it, then we're losing ground. And I think we've seen that when it comes to the issues of choice in the country. And mm-hmm. we're now on the brink of having a Supreme Court that might eliminate, um, you know, choice and contraception, by the way. Um, <laughs> right you know, that, that we're close to there, that things like the Americans with Disabilities Act, um, looking at issues of, of immigration and asylum, I mean, just kind of from A to Z, workers' rights, um, you know, and fairness issues, that those are all at stake when we um, let up off the gas, mm-hmm. when we take our eye off the ball and, and we don't confront exactly what's happening and we don't acknowledge what we're seeing before our eyes. You know, we yeah. we give a lot of deference and benefit of the doubt to to people we see enacting policies that have clear outcomes, mm-hmm. that have outcomes that hurt people, um, that keep people in poverty, that um, you know imprison people, um, you know without imprisoning others. Like you know, we see these policies and the results that they have, yet we don't name them as harmful and as racist and as classist. And until we start doing that and confronting what is, we're just inviting more of the same. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I know you're right. And I and I would say too, and I'm thinking of some of the drug um, laws in the in the past up to the current time, and the um, you know horrific, disproportionate um, conviction rates, arrest rates, conviction rates, all of it. You know, if you are uh, white and in a white community, you, you don't actually pay much attention to any of that. I mean, people don't pay attention to things until they impact them themselves. And so you sort of, unless someone can sort of grab onto you and really find a way to connect so that you will pay attention, you're sort of um, just in a happy uh, place because you're not personally impacted by these things. That is That is the definition of white privilege. It is. Yeah. And and I hope one thing that we have seen is that although it may appear that way on the surface and people can certainly, you know, drive home to their exclusive neighborhoods and send their kids to their exclusive schools and feel like they're in a bubble, that this pandemic has revealed that that's really false. That, you know, the, the health and well-being of all of our neighbors to all of the people who provide us with the services that we rely on, who, who are essential to the functioning of society um, and, and not just a convenient, uh, you know, job classification. And, you know, people having access to health care, people having sick leave so they don't come to work sick mm-hmm. 
and and you know put in a position where it's it's come to work sick and potentially make other people sick or pay their bills that's an unfair choice to right. to to present someone with and is a result of failures of the system i mean even the the disproportionate impacts on communities of color and low income communities is is you know a revelation of the failure of policy and we're all paying for it Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're in this severe economic downturn and feeling like we don't yet see the light at the end of the tunnel in this pandemic because so many of our neighbors are struggling, even though there are, you know, small amount of wealthy people who are getting wealthier throughout this mm-hmm. time. Um, you know, the, certainly the suffering of those at the bottom and our failure to take care of everyone in society when we have the means to do so. Is, is hurting our entire economy, is, is hurting people um, in every segment of society. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, I think that's really important framing. I, I was thinking yesterday, um, we had a program last year, earlier this year, actually on Downtown On The Go, talking about how to make aging-friendly cities. And one of the comments that struck me was that the, the city or the neighborhood that's set up to best serve an 80-year-old is also the ideal place for an eight-year-old, you know, mm-hmm. walkable, you know, good, tra- you know, traffic control, um, local shops, local schools, um, very livable. And I think that's the case in so many situations where if you, let's say with hiring, if you truly open up to all individuals, your job process, and you try to get in people who are going to be good for your organization, that helps everybody. Um, all of these, you know, sort of structures that I think people who have a negative impression of, of identity politics or whatever you want to call it, if they say, you know, you're helping this segment or that segment, no, that's not true. When we change these laws and when we really change our way of behaving, everybody benefits. It, it just, um, it's a, it's a, a change so that if people, as, as you say, if people have sick leave, they don't come to work sick and the disease doesn't spread. If people have some economic um, supports, then they continue to buy groceries and that supports the grocer and it supports the farmer. You know, all of these things make for a better community. Um, and I think that's, I hope, part of the messaging that, that maybe we get to at some point. Uh, let's take a break and then let's uh, hone in a little bit more on some of our local races. And particularly, I'd like your thoughts on, um, I saw some comments on uh, Twitter last night from like the Black, uh, the Tacoma Action Collective, actually, um, with disappointment about the sheriff's race and the Pierce County executive's race and how we think that's going to affect our local uh, activities over the next few months. So we'll take a short break. This is Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, We Art Tacoma. Words mean things. That's what Pacific Lutheran University challenges me and you to think about in our everyday speech. When I speak to you or a guest over the podcast, the words I choose have impact, either positive or negative. Words have history, and when we choose to use them, we have to own their meaning and their effect on the people listening. My language, my choice. PLU is asking us to go deep on words like anti-racist or decolonize and to think about what those words truly mean. Then, once you understand them, let's talk about how you can put words into action. What can you do to live up to the word anti-racist? How can you decolonize your entertainment or even how you introduce yourself? These are big questions. To get ideas on how to answer them, and to find questions about other important words, visit plu.edu slash words mean things to learn more. My sincere thanks to Pacific Lutheran University for sponsoring Channel 253 and for doing exactly what universities should be doing right now with this campaign. Well, we're back from our break. Before we start talking about more about local races, I just want to do a shout out for becoming a Channel 253 member. You know, I saw a, a comment the other day from Eric Hanberg, who is the publisher of Channel 253, and he noted that really Channel 253 kind of got started four years ago with Trump's election. 
and uh, Eric getting together with um, Marguerite and with Nate Bowling and talking about, you know, what can we do to increase civic discourse in our community? And as a result, you're listening to podcasts like this. And we're going to keep doing it. And it's very important uh, to have these voices and these uh, discussions someplace where people can access them. But we can do it better if we have your support. Uh, membership in Channel 253 is $4 a month or $40 a year. It's an investment in your community. And we hope you'll join us in membership. All right. Let's uh, let's talk about some of the local races. And I was saying before the break, I saw a tweet from the uh, Tacoma Action Collective indicating that they're very disappointed. It, I mean, Ed Troyer has a, a commanding lead in the sheriff's race, which is not really that surprising. We saw that in the coming out of the primary too. And they were also so, uh, disappointed that um, Bruce Dammeyer was um, you know, well ahead and going to be another four years as the county executive. And their disappointment is because they don't feel quite rightly that they have been getting um, very clear answers, both on the death of Manny Ellis and other policing issues in Tacoma. Um, and I agree with that. But um, what do you think some of these decisions, like for the Pierce County Sheriff and the Pierce County Executive, are going to say for local um, engagement over the next uh, few months? Um, Crystal, start with you. Well, sure. I mean, I, I think that um, certainly lots of us would have preferred to see different results. I think there are some, um, you know, there are areas where I don't know that those results were necessarily unexpected, but that doesn't make them um, any less disappointing. And I think that just goes to underscore the need for continued engagement. I also do think it's important to recognize progress that is being made because lots of people and organizations have been working very hard um, in organizing communities, even throughout the, the pandemic. And so, you know, talking about potentially flipping the Pierce County Council mm -hmm. from Republican to Democrat and, and putting that in more progressive hands is a big step. Um, a very big step that can, you know, help in some of the, the immediate issues where accountability and, um, uh, you know, certainly engagement is needed and more answers are needed, but also in the long term and helping to, um, you know, normalize conversations about policy and the effect that that progressive policy has in people's lives and to really help people make that connection and, and you know, a responsibility to demonstrate that, hey, these policies that we're putting in are doing more good for more people um, and, and to make those connections, to continue to listen to community and engage with community um, and, and make progress that way. So certainly, um, results left a lot to be desired, but my goodness, were there some some great and exciting results like the council, like Tawana Nobles, um, you know, a lot to be excited about and, and certainly acknowledging that progress is being made. Mm -hmm. I agree. Justin, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think the sheriff's race is an example of what we were talking about earlier, where I think a lot of people uh, assume that because this is a democratic area, only sort of in Pierce County, that it means that we're free of some of these underlying systemic problems. And if you know Tacoma Action Collective, they've been advocates on police brutality issues and on systemic racism issues. And, um, you know, I think with, with the sheriff's race in particular, there's a lot of concern about the Pierce County Sheriff's Department role in the death of Manny Ellis back in March. Um, and I think that is a, a very fair question. I, I think it's been, it's been clearly mishandled. Uh, at all different levels, but but beyond that, even be, beyond who wins the seat and who doesn't, did we see any real evidence that anybody that was running for sheriff was really committed to addressing these underlying issues that allowed Manny Ellis to be killed in the first place when he was walking home from church? Um, you know, that's kind of where we're standing right now. So I, I do think, yeah, Ed Troyer won, and I, I know a lot of people uh, were saying, well, he's a Democrat. I don't know what he is. Uh, I have no idea, frankly. And I, I frankly, when we looked at who was actually in the running in the primary and after the fact, you know, some of them were hesitant to say things like Black Lives Matter, like we have a fundamental problem with uh, maybe how people like Manny Ellis are handled by police, how we report these kinds of issues. So, you know, really, there's no real no real indicator that we're going to see systemic change from the person who did win last night. And I, here in Tacoma, we had a writing candidate, Janice Bridges. Uh, she talked a lot about some of these systemic issues. I. I don't know what the actual breakout of the total vote was for her. 
I don't imagine it's going to be very high or if we're, we're going to have an opportunity to know. But I think um, it's one of those issues where we assume because we vote Democrat sometimes that we're free of some of these bigger systemic issues. And that's just simply not the case. So, you know, the pressure needs to stay on uh, regardless of who is or isn't sheriff. Uh, and we need to be taking a hard look at what our our police practices are. And that's not just at the county level. That's at the Tacoma mayor and city council level, too. Um, you know, the budget cycle is underway right now. And they're they're discussing what kind of cuts are going to happen, if any. Uh, and there's a lot of pushback on that from Local 6, which is the police union. So these are the conversations we need to have. It's not just who gets elected. Um, we need to be looking at our policies and our practices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. One of the things I would be, I hope to see, I don't have any reason to expect to see it, but um, I would very much appreciate it. I would like to see Ed Troyer invite Janice Bridges in uh, to have some conversations because I think she does have some good ideas. And I think that would be, uh, that would be a very positive sign um, if he were to do that, we'll see what happens. Um, I know in, at least from last night's result in the um, sheriff race, there were 13,000 write-ins, which is pretty high for a race like that. I don't know how many of them were for uh, Janice, but I would not be surprised if she were most of those write-ins. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I was a little less optimistic about that, to be honest. Uh, you know, when you look at some of these yeah. other nonpartisan positions, uh, with two candidates. I mean, that that seems to be fairly in line with what mm -hmm. you see for a write-in. And since they're not breaking the results out, we don't know how many were for yeah. Janice, how many were for Mickey Mouse, how many right. were for, right. you know, I've heard of people writing in George Floyd, um, mm -hmm. you know, just because as a way to, to protest what's going on. So, sure. uh, but either way, I mean, I, I think this should be a reminder to everybody. You can vote Democratic. You can be a Democratic city. Uh, doesn't mean that you're addressing racism or misogyny or some of the causes of poverty or any of these other systemic problems just by having that in place. Yeah. Well, I think both, uh, Justin, both you and Crystal have mentioned this, and I think it's well worth repeating again. And that is that, you know, the elections are, they are important. I mean, whoever is in charge of these different areas can really set the agenda, but the work doesn't end there. There's so much more for the community to do. And I would say that, um, keeping the pressure on the city and the county with regard to policing issues in our area is a very high priority. We do have a history of problems and um, we don't have to continue to have that. We don't have to. So um, people can really make a difference. Um, one of the things I asked uh, both Justin and Crystal to think about before today's show was, what are the races or the results that you see in our state that tell you something? Either it could be something positive, something negative, or just something different. Um, and Crystal, what what do you think? What have you been looking at that you sort of think, huh, that's kind of interesting for Washington, or that's a positive trend, or that's something I'm concerned about? Well, looking at the overall returns, I mean, Republicans were certainly trying to make the case um, against any new revenue, against making our tax system less regressive and, and kind of trying to paint with a very broad taxes equals bad, you know, and, and, and what I saw that was interesting, I think across the board, but encouraging to me personally, was that that was pretty soundly rejected by voters and, and that people are looking beyond the simple, you know, is it is this, you know, just kind of anyone saying that they support a tax and, and acting allergic to that. But, but hey, this really speaks to who we are as a society and how much responsibility we're asking different members of our community to take in shaping our community. And, and we have put the burden on people at the bottom who can least afford um, to bear that burden. And, and I think we're just seeing an increasing acknowledgement by voters that's pretty hard to ignore, um, you know, when things like, hey, a capital gains tax is on the table. Yeah, we're, you know, this isn't something that people are trying to spin into a tax. This is what it means. But hey, it should make things more equitable. And voters saying, yeah, we actually do want that. We have heard all the reasons why this may be bad or scary. And we just mm -hmm. flat out disagree. So 
please get to work and, and you know, to, to making this system less regressive and less of a burden at the people who can least afford to bear it. And who it shows that when they're not burdened, they're most beneficial to our economy. So this is mm-hmm. also key to our recovery here. And so to me, just ahead of this legislative session, as these conversations are happening, that is certainly something that I'm looking at in the results saying that, you know, it looks like voters are pretty clear on their intention there. Mm-hmm. Justin, what what do you see that's either a trend or something positive or something negative to be concerned about? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Crystal is right. I think one of the things that we've seen pretty consistently is uh, folks are willing to support new revenues where it's needed, but we're also seeing in Pierce County in particular, a uh, pretty clear indicator that people don't like the regressive tax system. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think uh, going back to the 28th LD where, where Tawana looks set to win the Senate race, um, you know, she, one of the, one of the issues at stake was the $30 car tabs, you know? And so, uh, when sound transit three passed a few years ago, I, I was a big supporter of it. I still am, but you know, a lot of people brought up that this made their car tabs really high. And it was, it was something that Steve Oban kept hammering over and over and over again is we're going to kill sound transit and we're going to, we're going to kill these, uh, you know, these high taxes and, you know, we know for him, his underlying reason was he just doesn't like transit and he doesn't like you know, people doing liberal city things as it, as it were, but, you know, Tawana, I think handled that issue very, very well. You know, she said, uh, we support the transit, we support the revenue for transit, but we do need to talk about the fact that we have a regressive system where, you know, this puts more burden on the people who can least afford it. So I'm going to be really interested to see what happens with, uh, with funding transit, but also taking some of that burden off of lower income people, because it's not an option to take that revenue away. But we also just can't keep piling taxes on people who can't afford it. So we're going to have to look at that. And, you know, Lori Jenkins has pushed for literally forever for a capital gains tax. I I hope the numbers are there now for her to get that through, um, start taking away some of these regressive taxes there. Um, You know, same thing with the mental health tax. I mean, Pierce County is one of the only, I think, the only county in the state now that doesn't have one, that one-tenth of one percent to fund mental health services. But even that is often funded through a regressive sales tax. Um, mm-hmm. So if we can talk about the fact that we need to fund mental health services, we need to make them available to people that need them while not overly burdening the people who can't afford to pay those taxes, that's going to be a conversation that we need to have too. So this goes back to the whole systems conversation. It's we can have the taxes, we can vote for the right people, but are we doing things that systemically are unfair to the people who are impacted by that, who do tend to be more marginalized communities? So, <clears throat> excuse me, let's have that conversation as a, as a community and as a, as a city and see where that goes. But, you know, as far as beyond that, I think uh, the results at the state level went the way I largely expected them to. I think uh, the approved referendum 90 campaign that was pretty, pretty successful. And that was often bundled in with, the superintendent of public instruction. And I think, uh, you know, how you, how you felt about referendum 90 also tended to relate to whether you supported Reich Dahl or Maya Espinoza. And I think that largely went the way we expected it was going to go. So the state supports comprehensive sex ed, which is great. You know, I'm a parent myself and I, I'm glad to see that in place, uh, learning about consent, learning about age appropriate behaviors. I think that's a good thing fundamentally. So, um, yeah, I think, as always, let's let's look at our systems and our, our frameworks and operate within that and evaluate how those systems are are helping or hurting people as opposed to just who's a player in the system. Yeah, I think the races that I'll point to is sort of telling me something, not that I didn't know, but sort of reaffirming were the were two, the two Supreme Court races that were contested with um Raquel uh, Lewis Montoya, Montoya Lewis, sorry, I got that wrong. Um, And Helen Whitener, one of our local luminaries, who I think the world of, Um, because there's just, there's just such, there's such a, a, a significant racist element at work there. The other white justices did not draw an opponent. Uh, Helen and um, Montoya Lewis did. They're the newest, but that's not what's going on. You know, Steve Gonzalez drew an opponent and also always draws an opponent, whereas others don't. There's a um, white male lawyer who thinks, why not give it a shot, even when they are woefully unqualified, such as Richard Cerns, who ran against um, Justice Whitener 
Uh, he has never Did practiced. Did he like just get his license to practice well, he too? He just got his law degree yes. so coming into this campaign. That well, Yeah, that is where that race it's stood. mediocrity. Yeah, he, he actually had his law degree, I guess, some time ago, but he's, just been, he's been in education. He was a superintendent in one of the local school districts. Uh, and and his, even in his voter materials, it was it was ridiculous. He said, you know, he's been very involved in public records issues, so he thinks he can several do several seats, my dude. I mean, it's like it's 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 ridiculous. But as of last night's vote statewide, he, he had eight hundred thousand people voting for him. Now, no question, Justice Whitener is winning that race commandingly, and she should. But he still got a lot of votes. So this is the thing that I see in this in these two races that I love. I love, I love that we appoint wonderful women of color to our Supreme Court. I love that we have majority women on our Supreme Court. I hate that they, you know, people of color on our Supreme Court draw opponents, ridiculous, unqualified opponents every time. And I really hate that those people get votes for any reason whatsoever. But I am happy and reassured that they don't win. You know, the well-qualified, experienced justices win every time. So it's a, a good and bad, but it's a it's a weird, bittersweet because they have to work. They have to be twice as well-qualified to get in. They've got to work three times as hard once they're there. They've got to work four times as hard to hold their seat because they're going to be challenged, whereas other people are not. Zamboni That's might cool. run against them and get 35% of the vote. He didn't yeah. show up this year, did he? No, no. I, you don't see two. Uh, the one who ran against uh, Montoya Lewis, uh, Larson, this is his second run, but I would be surprised if we see him do it again. I just got a news alert that Joe Biden has won Wisconsin. Oh. I just saw yeah. that. Yep. Conclusive okay. from the AP. Excellent. And others joining in on that. So I think he's going to win. I still think he's going to win, but we still have our work to cut out. Our work is cut out for us. Yeah, it's not going to be an easy time no matter what. But um, having someone like um, Biden and Kamala Harris in charge of the executive branch and appointing all the heads of agencies and getting everything running again properly would be very reassuring. Well, let's yeah. say final thoughts on all of this. Crystal, what are your final thoughts? I would say that, you know, I, I think, again, with the call of, of Wisconsin, that once we get these votes counted, I am fairly certain that they're going to reflect that Joe Biden um, not only has more votes, but has enough to win the Electoral College. Mm -hmm. And then it just becomes a matter of, of the various court challenges um, in a reshaped judiciary, um, largely stocked by, by Trump appointees in our federal court system. And with a Supreme Court that heavily favors conservatives and with, um, you know, members appointed by by Donald Trump. So we'll see how that goes. I, I certainly do not think that's going to be a cakewalk. Mm -hmm. um, but but I do think that um, Democrats will be operating from a position of power and with the knowledge that these votes are trending in Biden's way. And I think just even for issues of, of unrest and confusion, we have some clarity about that right now, and that is certainly helping the situation overall. And then locally, you know, personally, I am I am thrilled at the results um, that we saw when it comes to Black women running for the legislature. Um, I've been, uh, you know, as you know, involved in efforts to elect Black women, and it looks like we're going to be moving from the two current black women in the legislature and tripling that mm -hmm. to at least six, if not seven. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's just absolutely thrilling and exciting. And, and even just a shout out to, you know, even, you know, Joyce Stanford, an excellent mm -hmm. candidate who mm -hmm. part of her district is in Pierce County, um, you know, did excellent work and, and just energizing the base. And, and that work is going to be helpful next year for local candidates in 2022. So just a lot of great work done. And, and now that we have a, a number of new people that appear to be elected, we just have to continue to do the work of holding them accountable and remaining engaged. Mm -hmm. I agree. Justin, final thoughts? Yeah, I think for me, one of the things that I was really encouraged to see was just how high turnout was uh, in Pierce County and statewide. 
Uh, we're looking to smash numerous records, uh, which is kind of a trend that's holding in a lot of the country. But I think in Washington State, people were really, really fired up. And as as I keep saying, I think that on its own is not an indicator that we're making progress necessarily, but it's a good sign that we're 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 making some progress in at least getting people to pay attention to things. So for me, one of the things I'm going to continue to focus on is how do we make sure that we capture a good number of those voters next year for city council races, for the mayor's race, for the port commission races, for all these races that typically don't see as much enthusiasm as the presidential race, um, mm-hmm. because that's really important. And again, that's where we tend to see a lot of voices left out and excluded. So if we can, you know, here in the 27th, we've done some data analysis that shows our our voter turnout is disproportionately white and over 50, despite the fact that that's not the majority of the voting population. Mm-hmm. So if we can begin to start bringing some balance to who's turning out, making sure that more voices are in there, that we're engaging the youth voters, that we're engaging some of the some of the maybe refugee and immigrant communities where they have citizenship opportunities, that we help get people to uh, understand why city council races are important for them, for their day-to-day life. That's going to be a really, really big focus for me. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to see that, and we're gonna we're gonna have our work cut out for us next year, regardless of who wins. But I'm I'm cautiously optimistic to use that term again. That's good. All right. Well, I think we'll end with that cautious optimism, um, and um, let's see. We'll see what this week brings. But uh, at least locally, I agree. I think we've got some some positive trends going and I am looking forward to seeing the County Council um, shift into a more active role in our um, local issues. So that's a good thing. All right. Shout out to uh, really quick too. shout out to Sarah Rumbaugh. She ran a great race. Shout out to Larry Sequist. They didn't make it through this time. Uh, maybe that'll tighten, but you know, they, it, it takes so many different candidates and they ran great races and they had a very good showing in a, in a difficult County. So bravo to both of you. I got to say, it is really, it is really hard to be a candidate and it is really hard to lose a race. And um, yeah, everyone did a really tremendous job and I hope that they can, you know, take a week with their family and kind of recover from it and then come back, come back fully engaged again. All right, we'll end this here. If uh, you are listening and you have ideas, if you have questions, send them to me. And if you have ideas for future episodes, we, we try to accommodate ideas that come to us. So send me an email, truetacoma at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at true underscore Tacoma. Thanks everyone. Talk to you soon. Did you know Channel 253 is member supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. Crossing Division is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Citizen Tacoma, What Say You, and Gimme the Mic. This is Channel 253.